So we're now at the sixth of the core commitments that we've been preaching through on growing young. And today is about being the best neighbor. So I'm not sure if you remember all of the, all of the core commitments, and I'm going to try and test myself here. So they are the key chain leadership. Then there is empathy, creating an uh, empathetic congregation, community, creating a warm community, quite similar, about welcome and, and, and looking out for folks. And, and then as you continue on, there is taking Jesus's message seriously. And then perhaps the most key one that we spoke about last week that will direct us in all our outreach about prioritizing young people everywhere in every part of life and thinking about what the practical applications of that might be, and this morning about being the best neighbor. I think that was six. I think I managed six there, hopefully. But we are thinking about how we are the, being the best neighbor. First of all, we ask the question, who is my neighbor? But also, we're thinking about not only, not only going out and, and, and being, you know, nice, but also how it is that we as God's people, as God's family here on earth, how we can welcome, how we can include, and how we can serve those who even, they may see us as the enemy, as, as a bit out there, a bit strange, and how we can love and how we can serve them as church. So, that's kind of where we're going to go this morning. As usual, we like to soften you up with a wee joke. And, and it was a, a rabbi and a Catholic priest, and they were great friends. They'd been great friends for many, many years. And they were, at, they were invited to a dinner party together, and Mrs. Frobisher had served the best ham that, that in five counties. It was, it was the best ham that anyone could ever taste, ever. And so the priest was, was joking with the rabbi said, come on, you've got to try this ham. It, it's, the, oh, it's just perfect. It's just so juicy and moist and lovely, and, and you really need to try it. What would it take for you to try it after the rabbi had said, no chance, I'm not, I'm not taking it. What would it take for you to eat Mrs. Frobisher's ham? And the rabbi looked him in the eye and said, tell you what, I'll eat it at your wedding. The thing about being good neighbors is that we can have fun together. We can, we, can, we can joke, we can laugh, and even when we laugh about things that we disagree about, there is a love and there is a concern that keeps us there. I wonder if that, that makes sense to you, that, that even though you love, you can disagree. Even though you have different concerns and issues, maybe with what each other believes and does, you can still love and you can still welcome. I think that, in a nutshell, is what being a good neighbor is all about. In the Grown Young series, we've heard many stories, many stories of what God is doing in people's lives. And one of the stories that I heard just recently was the story of a young woman called Alexis. Alexis who had just moved to Washington, D.C. She had got a job there. And she was, the first weekend there, there was a festival going on in the city. So she decided to, to go and see what the festival was all about. 
And there was various stalls around, I think it was, it was in the, probably in the, the big stretch between the White House or the government building and, and anyway, doesn't matter, in that, in that big stretch of grass. And, and she was walking around and she saw one, one stall that said these words, foster the city, foster the city. And what that was all about was that there was a stall there and what the people were were promoting was that kids in the city needed who needed foster families, and there was not there was not enough um, foster families to do that, and so they were saying, join with us, and it is our vision to make sure that there's no children in need of a foster family because we will foster the city, and it turns out it was a church, it was a church called the District Church in Washington D.C. And Alexis didn't catch their eye because it was a church promoting themselves, but what caught her eye was that it was a church who was willing to serve the city, willing to love the city, and willing to care for the city. And it then turned out that she became part of that church and was thoroughly thriving in that church. And it came it came because the church was willing to serve and willing to love its community. And she wasn't looking for a church, but she found a church that became home because this church was wanting to serve and love its city. Now, you've heard me say this before, but as church in Dalkeith, we want to be a blessing machine to serve this town to not just be a good or a nice neighbor, but to be the best neighbor. We don't want to be just a kind of nondescript, kind of bland, you know, easy-ozy church that sits opposite Morrison's and doesn't do anything else. We want to be a blessing machine that loves and loves and loves Dalkeith and serves and serves the people of Dalkeith, even when they come nowhere near, even when we get nothing back. But we love because God has loved us. So, what does it mean to be a neighbor? Now, the, the root word for neighbor is near dweller. So, someone who, who lives near you. It used to be in, in, in kind of farming times, the, the one on the next farm or, or pretty close. Someone who shares the same space. But really, being a neighbor could be anyone locally or nationally or globally. And we want to think about that, but also probably today we want to concentrate on how we can be good near dwellers, how we can be the best, best neighbors to our local community, to serve where we live as part of the good news that we hold dear. Now, being the best neighbor is a careful dance of holding to the truths and the commands of Scripture and graciously loving our neighbors. And this includes how we serve, how we pursue social justice, how we help teenagers and young adults find their calling, and how we interact with popular culture, and how we respond to heated cultural issues. Now, this is very, very tricky. It is a, a tightrope to walk. But in a nutshell, we want to offer ways this morning in which we can neighbor well, which we're not denying 
is hard. We know it's hard. Because navigating our ever-changing culture is one of the biggest challenges facing our church. That we keep the church relevant to speak into the lives of those folks who are in need, but also how we avoid succumbing to the pressures to conform. So the first question we have to ask as church is, who is my neighbor? And Helen, Heather and Callum and Reuben have done an amazing job already this morning of thinking about who our neighbors are. And, and for Jesus, because we always want to come back to Jesus, Jesus, who was asked this question, pointed the folks who were trying to trip him up to this parable. And we find it in Luke chapter 10 at verse 25 to 37. And the challenge with this, with this parable is you've heard it so many times. Even if you've never been in church before, you know this story, the Good Samaritan. There's an amazing helpline called the Samaritans because these are folks who are there to help and need. But one of the things you need to recognize as you read this parable, and I've spoken about this before, and you'll have heard other speakers speak about it before, is that the Samaritans were hated. You know, the, the word Samaritan these days is a, is a good word. It's a, it's a good name. But in the days of Jesus, Samaritans were filth. They were evil. They were the ones who had succumbed to the other cultures while the Jews, as they saw it, remained pure. They had remained pure and holy, and the Samaritans had ended up a mixed mongrel race. That was how they felt. The Samaritans were hated. And you also need to recognize that this parable, where Jesus places it, is on a road that was horrendous, that people were mugged and killed all the time on this road. So that's a little bit of the context we have for the Good Samaritan parable. Here we go. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This was a common question in those days. What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? This is the question we're asking ourselves today. And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And then a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Now, various reasons why he may have passed by on the other side. He was a priest. If he touched a dead body or went near it, he was unclean for seven days, maybe longer, and he was unable to serve in the temple. Also, it could have been a decoy. It could have been someone who was lying in wait so they could rob the priest. However, the priest would know the commandments and know what he was meant to do to serve those in need. But his duty was higher than his mercy. So he went by. And then a Levite, a, 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 a temple assistant, he also walked by for the same reasons. But these are two holy men. So to a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him, 
So he saw him, he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan hated. Jesus is using the Samaritan. They, they're guessing what will happen. Oh, Samaritans, they're worse than the priest and the Levite. Let's see what happens to him. Jesus is going to put the boot in on him. But no, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. The villain of the piece is, in fact, the hero of this parable. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, he poured on oil and wine, then he put him on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, I will return. I will reimburse you for any extra expense. Out of his own pocket, he's going to pay for these. And then which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? You can almost hear the expert in the law sighing, replying, the one who had mercy on him. We can't even name him. It's the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And you can imagine the expert in the law walking away with his tail between his legs. The one who had mercy on him. That is what it's all about, to be the best neighbor, to have mercy on them. To be the best neighbor, we need to go out of our way to help all. But also, as a, as a word of encouragement, I think that you need to recognize what the, the expert in the law says, that you have to love your neighbor as yourself. This is, this is from the Old Testament, from Deuteronomy and from Leviticus, that you need to love yourself. And I think that's one of the things that God wants to share to you today, that you're loved by Him. And it's only when you receive that love that you can have love for others. So I would encourage you to take time to receive that love that God has for you. And know that it's not all just for you, but as He pours His love into you, He wants you to pour it out to others, to love ourselves so that we can love others. To be a, neighbor, to be a good neighbor, to be the best neighbor, is to be someone who shows mercy to friends, to strangers, and to our enemies. To be able to demonstrate compassion and forgiveness so that people will listen. They may not agree, but I firmly believe they'll let us speak. It gives us a way to have a voice to speak into people's lives of the good news that we hold to. Rick Warren, pastor in Saddleback Church in California, says, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Asking who our neighbor is helps us, and also our young people and the young people who will come here, to respond to the needs of those around us, those who are different from us. Jesus reached out, and we are called to do the same. So, hospitable neighbors are to be good neighbors. We are to honor the good in others. If we're going to be the best neighbors, we need to recognize that there is, there is plenty going on in the world that is, is, not, is not the way it should be. But also, there's so much good in the world. This is God's creation. And we as church need to call out the good. We need to 
affirm the good things that are happening in the world. We need to affirm that there is so much to hope for. I guess through lockdown, the challenge has been through this pandemic and through it all is how we, how we have seen the good, how we've seen folks reaching out for those in need, how we've seen locally in our church people who have gone that extra mile to help those who are struggling and who are alone. There's so much good in our community. You just need to look at the, the, the roundabout at the, the top of this road. There's one chap who's always working on it. He's always doing, just keeping things tidy on that roundabout, about bringing life into that. And the gorilla gardeners who are doing an amazing job all across Dalkeith, we want to call out the good. We want to celebrate that and give thanks for what they do. So good neighbors, the best neighbors, honor the good. If we are going to be hospitable and compassionate neighbors, we also want to make the world better. We not only want to honor the good, but we want to do good, to be a blessing machine. So we want to engage in acts of service outside of the church. We have various partners, Safe Families for Children, Bethany Christian Church, our very next-door neighbors, Women's Aid. How can we be the best neighbors to them? How can we listen to them and help them as they're right next to us? One Dalkeith, the community scheme, community program that is doing so much in Dalkeith. How can we as church support them, get on board, help them? And how can we maybe help with guerrilla gardeners? We know there's many fantastic gardeners in our congregation. How can we help the people of Dalkeith as they're going about the public areas and tidying them up? Maybe we, we join in after church because they tend to do it on a Sunday morning, but maybe we could come to church and then go and serve there. What a fantastic witness that would be. If we take these things on board, if we're caring, if we're sharing, if we're loving, if we're serving, it shows that we're committed to our community. We want to see Dalkeith flourish. We want to see the people of Dalkeith flourish. Jeremiah 29 speaks about praying for the prosperity of your city. We want to see Dalkeith prosper. We want folks to use our buildings. We have been working on the large hall. We've been working on this space in here, and it's not just for us. At no point have we ever said it's just for us. We want the community of Dalkeith to use it for those who can't, you know, perhaps financially afford anywhere else, that we will look after them here. We want to use our buildings to be a blessing as well. But we also want to go out and show mercy, to have mercy. So I'm calling us out to be hospitable, compassionate, and patient. To be patient neighbors means that we respect the journey of all that we meet, not only the destination. We need to love folks. We need to accept folks even when we disagree with them. And that goes for inside the church as well as outside of the church. How many times have you had a, a disagreement with someone in church and you thought that was it? Why don't we love and love and love, even when we disagree. We're allowed to disagree. In fact, it's healthy to disagree. If we're all just nodding dogs and, and yes men, then we're not going to achieve what God has called on our lives.
So we need to be patient with folks. Fred Craddock, uh, a pastor, shares the story of his father. His mom used to go to church every Sunday, and dad always said, no, I'm not coming to that church. All they ever do is want money from me. I'm not going. The pastor would come by and see him of his mom's church, of his wife's church, would come and speak to him. And he said, no, I'm never coming to church. You do nothing for me. You do nothing for other folks. All you want is, is my money. You're not interested in me at all. Eventually, dad took not well, and he was in the hospital. The pastor came and visited him. He was showered with cards and gifts and flowers, so many from the people of his wife's church. And Fred came in to sit beside him and chat with him, pray with him. And his dad said, I've been wrong. I've been wrong all these years. I recognize that despite my moaning, I am loved. I think that is what we want folks to recognize. That church does not exist for itself church exists for the people who are not here yet. We're not about ourselves. We're not about being a nice, cliquey social club. We are about the folks who are not here yet, to invite them in, to let them meet with Jesus, and to grow them with Jesus, to open up dialogues without judgment. Alpha is such a great model of this. If you do the Alpha training, if you're going to be on board for helping with Alpha, one of the things they say in Alpha is never, never give an answer. But when you hear something completely outlandish, something totally out there, your response is, how interesting. I value your, your comment. And you never pass judgment, and you never try to answer the questions that they, they raise so that they feel welcomed, and they feel loved, and they feel like they can say anything without judgment. And church has been guilty of, for too often taking God's, taking God's role of judging others when we are to love and leave that all to God. So, patient neighbors respect the journey that people are on. When contentious issues arise, and, and at the moment, it's, it's stuff about gender and probably same-sex marriage as well, just for a couple of examples. We need to remember that we are all created in God's image, and we want to honor that and understand that, but also to understand that we will not all agree, but it's okay to ask questions of each other. And as a church, we want to reflect our community. We want to be diverse. We want to be one but we want to be multi-generational. We want to be multiracial. We want to be diverse economically. We want to see the whole gambit, the whole spectrum of our community welcomed in our church. But we also need to remember that God has a clear heart for the poor. I would say much, God loves us all, but He has a definite heart for the poor. And if we are just a, a you know, a church that is comfortable and it's, it's middle-class settings, then we're missing out. Church too often 
has settled for safe, and we should be stepping out and welcoming in everyone. And as wise neighbors, as loving neighbors, as compassionate neighbors, as patient neighbors to this community, we need to help young people dream and discern their calling. I think we as church are very well positioned to help young people to find meaning for their lives, but also to find a sense of meaning in their vocations, to help share in what God is doing in the world. We can, more than anyone else, speak into the lives of young people and say that you are crucial and that your time matters more now than ever. And when we speak that in the young people's lives, it sticks and it remains. The best neighbors also avoid common pitfalls. We are not saying we are perfect. We are not. We are not perfect. I was chatting to a few folks this week, and, and, and we were on the young, uh, Grown Young Summit last weekend through Zoom. And one of the things that they said was, for leadership, what you need to do is lower lower people's expectations at a rate that they can handle. In other words, to recognize that we can't do everything. We can do something, but we can't do everything, and sometimes we have to accept that we are not perfect. We aim for perfection, but we settle for excellence, and that's pretty good, isn't it? But that's one of the pitfalls we need to avoid. But also, we will not try and copy or compete with other churches. We will be who we are as God has called us, and we will not condemn or critique. Let's not be sitting on the throne of judgment and condemning others when it is not our job to do that to the world around us. In church, it may be that we have to deal with stuff, but outside the church, that is not our role. And I would say it's not our role, full stop. It is God's role. We want to partner up. We want to partner up with the forces of good in the community. We will want to remember that we're all different and that our calling from God will lead us in different ways. You may remember in the past, you may not if you're slightly new at the church, but we did, a, we did a series on how we find our calling and how we recognize that we're all different. And it was based around the, an acronym SHAPE, that our, our spiritual gifts, our heart, our abilities, our personality, and our experiences all come together to shape us. And we're all different, but we've all got a calling upon us through all this SHAPE to discover what God has for us. I have, a bed beside, I have a bed beside my book. I have a book beside my bed by Henry Nguyen, Henry Nguyen. And, and this is a book just of short passages to read either at the beginning of the day or the end of the day. We tend to read it at the end of the day. And on March the 10th, it said these words about our unique call. And I just felt God was want us to share it together. And Henry Henri says these words, so many horrible things happen every day that we start wondering whether the few things we do ourselves make any sense. 
when people are starving only a few thousand miles away, when wars are raging close to our borders, when countless people in our own cities have no homes to live in, our own activities look futile. Such considerations, however, can paralyze us and depress us. Here the word call becomes important. We are not called to save the world, solve all problems, and help all people. But each of us has our own unique call in our families, in our work, in our world. We have to keep asking God to help us see clearly what our call is and to give us the strength to live out that call with trust. Then we will discover that our faithfulness to a small task is the most healing response to the illnesses of our time. We can't do everything, but God has called us to do something. So how about some ideas for action, some practical applications of what I've been speaking about, about how we as church become the best neighbors? Well, how about we get to know our neighborhood? Listen to the folks who know our neighborhood very well. The Church of Scotland has statistics for mission that we can find for Dalkeith. So you can get the, the whole front, well, there's a new census coming out this year, but from the census last time, there is a whole raft of statistics that we can use for our outreach. Also focus on our own contacts, folk that we know. Think about how you can serve them. Brush up on your culture. If when you hear the word cookies, you think just about something in the biscuit tin, you may not know everything about culture. So maybe brush up on culture by systematic listening. We as church are going to do a church survey as part of the Growing Young system. We're going to do a church survey. It's coming soon, so we would love it if you get through email or if you find it on social media or if we send it to you through the post. Please fill it in. Be open and honest about what you think we should be doing and how we rate on various things. It's coming. We'd love you to fill that in. Also engage with culture. And how about as church, we tackle the difficult topics. We used to, we used to do it once a year, is, is ask the minister any question. And, and maybe we should, I think it's a good thing to do it again. We'll maybe do that again, and we'll have a time where we can actually wrestle with the topics that are troubling you about this world we live in. We may increase it to the ministry team rather than just the minister. We want to also start locally. We are desperate to support Storehouse, and they're always needing volunteers and food. We want to continue in that, but also for Christians Against Poverty, how can you help there? or save families for children, could you volunteer with them? And we want to expand globally. We've had a partnership with Compassion, the child sponsorship scheme, for many years now, and they do amazing jobs across the world. But also, we're, we're looking to develop a partnership with Hospices for Hope in the Eastern European countries where they are running hospices and how we can serve and love with them. We want to partner up with folks like Richmond's Hope who are here in our church, for the Crescent Playgroup who meet next door. How can we help them for Women's Aid, for One Dalkeith, Gorilla Gardeners? These are all suggestions. Think about how you can personally make a difference. 
Think about how you can stay in touch with folks around you. What are the life-giving steps you and this church can do to the world outside our doors? What one or two shifts do you want us as church to make to be the best neighbors? Folks, let's live a life that demands an explanation. We want to make a difference. We want to make a difference in our local communities. And I believe that the local church is the hope of the world. This is where Jesus has poured His Holy Spirit into to make a difference. And as we engage with our neighbors, we will engage with all ages, and we will live according to our calling, and we will grow. We will grow with Jesus deeper and wider as He calls us. We're going to watch a, a, a story from our growing young friends now. Growing Young invites us to consider what it looks like to neighbor well. And about 13 years ago, our church, uh, Mountainside Plant, we were trying to wrestle with some of those kinds of questions. A man named Ulysses, who is the leader of a group called the Monrovia Youth Alliance, had asked us if we would, as a church, want to partner with their youth organization uh, in supporting young, what he described as at-risk youth in our community. And so we agreed to do that. That led to some tutoring. Um, eventually, it led to Ulysses contacting me and saying, hey, some of our kids want to get baptized. Do you think your church, along with this other Spanish-speaking congregation in our city, could host this baptismal service? And we'll do it in the swimming pool of the YMCA. And we said, of course, we'd love to do that. So then we decided, hey, why don't we worship together a little bit? And so quarterly... Um, this group would come and worship with us. And people from both congregation and this group began to share testimonies with each other of God's activity in their life. It was during these testimonies, some of the storytelling that we had in um, interpersonal interactions, that we began to hear stories from our friends about brothers, cousins, parents, family members who were undocumented. And we began to hear stories about what that means for people in our community that prior to this, we really didn't have um, connection with. And we learned about the limits that it put on them in terms of jobs, studies, career. More importantly, we learned about the fear that it instilled in them, just navigating and moving around our community, which we took so much for granted. Well, this pressed us into some big questions. Um, this was new territory for most people in our church at this time. And so we went to our Bibles and we're like, what, how, how are we going to neighbor well in this situation with these new friends? And so we read our Bibles and we read about Abraham and Sarah, who were immigrants. Um, we read about Moses, who himself uh, migrated. We read about Jesus and Joseph and Mary, who migrated after Jesus' birth to Egypt um, towards safety. Um, we read about metaphors in the later New Testament, about descriptions of our faith being as those who are aliens or, or resident aliens or strangers in a, in a strange land. And so all of a sudden, this new reality that we hadn't been exposed to, not only were we learning about it, but we were understanding our faith better because of the relationships 
that we had. One day Ulysses called me and said, hey, there's some new legislation that could really benefit some of our students and some of their family members. Do you think your church would be willing to research this a little bit and then host some nights where people could come and uh, get some guidance on how to apply for this new legislation. And so kind of miraculously, we got connected with an attorney and we organized these nights where literally over about three to six weeks, 100 um, people connected to this youth organization came and were supported in getting what's called deferred action for childhood arrival. And I would see them around town after they had received that documentation. Um, and I would see the difference in their countenance in the difference in the gaze of their eyes, not looking down in fear, but up with promise. One thing has led to another, and God has used this experience of neighboring well to not only teach us about the Christian faith, um, to not only come alongside neighbors um, in a time of need, but to give to us a vocational um, endeavor that our church would have never imagined had it not been for this work with these neighbors. And so our church over the last four years has started what's called the Immigration Resource Center of the San Gabriel Valley, where we have a staff attorney, we have an amazing staff who come alongside and accompany people who are navigating the immigration climate of our day, and they receive solid, honest, low-cost legal counsel um, from this work that we're doing. And there are family members and members of the Youth Alliance who have been board members, who have been staff, who have been clients. And most of all, they are ongoing friends and partners in God's mission in our local community. And so that's just one story of what it could look like uh, to neighbor well with a posture of shared hospitality and mutual transformation for everybody who's involved.